G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast uh, on what should be the prelude to a big round one of the AFL season. However, and uh, there's a however attached to everything these days, uh, these are strange days indeed. We're not 100% sure exactly what's going to unfold, but we're um, soldiering on on the premise that we are going to have round one of the AFL season. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? Yeah, I'm well. Of course, we understand that by the time you hear this podcast, the world might be a different place in regards football, but... As of Monday morning, football is going on, so I think we need to go on with the idea that there is going to be a round of football. I'll tell you what, Rowan. What? Well, gee, it's a different world out there, and uh, having gone to the supermarket yesterday with my missus, I can say that, well, I'm glad Australia wasn't involved in the Blitz in the Second World War, because I don't think we would have been down in the bunkers together uh, singing songs, or at least... I'm glad the blitz isn't on now. I, I I would say that the selfishness of individuals really struck a disappointing chord with me yesterday. It was gee, people were really pushing and shoving to get to things. Well, uh, yes, uh, like I said, strange times. I never expected uh, local supermarkets to resemble uh, a battleground, but uh, there you go. But I'll tell you one thing that never changes in these disturbing times, Finey, and that is the absolute quality of our favourite hamburger establishment. How good is it that you know, of course, it's not easy to get your hands on all the essentials, at the supermarket, but you can still get your hands on a magnificent Andrews hamburger at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And uh, as of today, the supply of those buns that you love has been maintained as are those top quality ingredients. So make a beeline for a brilliant burger. They're still being made and loved at Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. And I'll tell you what else just smacks of absolute quality too, and that is Nick Spartels. Tell us all about Nick. Well, a lot of us are going to be housebound, I think, in the next couple of weeks. The home is going to be central to life. Wouldn't you love to be doing it in a Nick Spartel West Point property built home in a city luxury, not just a new build, but also for your Maximum, maximise your property and your land's value by a great extension. And uh, more good news still, Finey, and that is that our fantastic offer from Grays Online continues right up until the end of this month. That's right, online retail and auction company Grays Online offer a huge range of consumer and industrial goods direct from manufacturers, and their offer to Footyology listeners still on. Take advantage of it, people. Those special voucher codes we've been telling you about will allow you to claim $30 off any purchase 
of more than $50 using the codes either ROCO, R-O-C-O, or FINEY, F-I-N-E-Y, to claim all sorts of fantastic offers. Huge range of stuff from $2 bottles of wine to $2 million cranes, everything in between, TVs, homewares, white goods, power tools, nearly all auctions start at just $9. So jump online, check out all the bargains, use those voucher codes, ROCO or FINEY, to get $30 off any purchase of more than $50 at Grays Online. All right, a lot to get through today. Let's not waste any more time. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Okay, well, we can't ignore the elephant in the room, although it's uh, more like a huge rampaging herd of elephants, and I speak, of course, of the dreaded coronavirus and uh, the world keeps shifting before our eyes and as we're going to stress a few times uh, throughout this show uh, we are proceeding on the basis that there is a round one of the AFL season but uh, as we record this early on Monday morning um, not all of us are that confident that there will be a round one. How do you feel about it? I'm Doubtful, especially after yesterday, Cameron Smith, post-Melbourne Storm's big win over Manly, quite sort of shockingly saying that he speaks on behalf of the team and they just don't want the season to continue because they are concerned being exposed to a number of external factors, having to travel into state, play against another team. And he put it in pretty stark terms, going home to our children. Many of us have young children and elderly parents, and we're not comfortable going back to our families with that extra exposure. And I just can't see how a comment like that won't resonate first with the NRL and then with the AFL. Well, it's funny you mention that because I'm not going to say who, but I had a conversation with a very senior AFL player um, who expressed very similar concerns, and uh, he believed that the season would... And I should say this is a couple of days ago. He thought the season would proceed, but he was very um, confident that uh, it would be brought to a halt pretty soon and that we'd be lucky to get past a couple of rounds. Um, Amazing sort of contingency plans that are are being worked on, and uh, that's going to happen all day today, Monday. Uh, Phone hookups left, right and centre between clubs, between the AFL administration, the AFLPA, uh, government, health authorities, you name it. I don't envy their job in in bringing that all together, but uh, among other things being considered... uh, Extended playing lists, if in case um, they try and cram three or four rounds worth of footy into about three weeks. We're talking about things like clubs playing three games over the space of two weekends. Um, they've talked, to, they've canvassed things like shorter games, uh, extended benches. So, um, you know, what we usually see is massive changes to the fundamentals of the game. And now, seriously being considered just so we can get through some footy on a on a longer term uh, basis the ramifications are enormous as uh, you know you don't have to be Einstein to work that out but clubs have been told to uh, try to make anywhere between three to five million dollars of savings in their budgets and that means well means pay cuts 
It means uh, retrenchments uh, of staff at clubs. Um, you know, I mean, the ramifications are enormous, aren't they? They are, and they really do mirror society because large companies out there are making similar uh, sort of demands on their employees. A lot of large companies are asking employees, have already asked employees whether there are any individuals who want to take uh, uh, voluntary redundancy. There's big organisations like Telstra have asked for their employees to work from home, which will be the end of overtime. Part-time employees are wondering about their rights. This is being felt across the board and AFL and the AFL clubs are obviously not immune to what is going to be a huge financial hit right across the board, not only to all Australians, but to all people around the world. And, you know, look, we often sit back and talk about the uh, enormous broadcast deal that the AFL is in the midst of at the moment and how what a, a buffer that is. And there's also um, the, uh, what's it called, the Future Fund, which I believe has something like $60 million in it. So, But then the AFL's got to consider, you know, do we um, blow all that now on, on propping up the clubs for this season? And uh, that obviously would change the outlook for subsequent seasons. That TV deal, just for what it's worth, two point five billion dollars and that's got another counting this season still got another three seasons to run but the ramifications for the next broadcast deal uh if this season or half this season doesn't go ahead even that changes the landscape completely so um yeah they've got a lot of thinking to do don't they can i ask this if the general consensus is that the sport all sport and basically business and life is put on hold, say, for two months. Yeah. Could we start the season two months later and have a grand final in November? Well, I, I was trying to figure it out. I mean, one, one of the mooted uh, ways around this, and I tend to think this might be one of the better suggestions, is reducing the season to 17 rounds. Everyone plays each other once. Now, if they're going to do that, by my reckoning, if you throw in the fact there's two weeks uh, of buys that they've got to play with, they could delay the season, I reckon, eight weeks and still have a 17-round season and finish around the time they want to finish. So, yes, I, I think we've got – this is just my view – I think we've got up until the end of May to start. I think if it gets – if it's called off, we get to the end of May and there hasn't been any footy played. I think the whole season's gone. If we're at the end of May and the situation is still dire in terms of numbers are daily increasing regarding the spread of COVID-19, I reckon football will be uh, secondary. In fact, it'll be the last thing on our minds. It would have meant that we would have had a sustained two months of an increase in this virus's spread. And we've seen in Italy, for example, uh, Spain, a month ago, the city of Madrid had no cases mm. and they now have 5,000 cases of people with COVID-19. And, of course, the problem is that the health system can't cope with that. So yeah, if we get to the end of May and we have not been able to curtail, prevent the spread and start to look at reducing the numbers of people with the virus, 
football won't go ahead, but we're going to have far bigger problems than just footy not going ahead. No, no, I, I couldn't agree more. They're, uh, they are disturbing times. There's no question about it. And I think a lot of us, I mean, I'll put my hand up here. I, I reckon if we'd had this discussion even two weeks ago, I would have been very, very blasé about it. But, um, you know, the amount, uh, the as you say, the rate at which confirmed cases are climbing and, um, you know, we're seeing people in pretty important position. You know, Peter Dutton the other day, uh, speaking of important positions, Richard Wilkins, the latest to go down with coronavirus. I wonder who he got it from. Uh, well, he, how he got it. Well, he interviewed um, Tom Hanks's wife, Rita Wilson. That's how he got it, probably. Um, well, you'd think so. And, and yeah, I mean, to that end, the Peter Dutton thing, he had a meeting with... Um, well, he met the cab- US cabinet. Yeah. And, and only Ivanka is self-isolating. What did he do to Ivanka that was different to his interaction with the US Senate? Well, more so than that, there was a... a he didn't get down and dirty with her, did he? Oh, don't. Well, I'm just asking. I read um, last Tuesday there was a, a cabinet meeting at which Peter Dutton was present. Yeah. So um, wasn't the entire cabinet self-isolating? I mean, there's a whole lot of unknowns and sort of contradictions and even some contradictory advice. And I guess that's a reflection of, um, you know, the uncharted waters that we're currently in. Let's just hope that, and we put sport aside here, let's just hope that, especially for the elderly in the community, that everybody understands that what is a virus for some can be a death sentence for others and tread very carefully. Yep. I, I have an elderly mother and yep. Ditto. We, the family has set up a Facebook page basically to make sure that um, you know mum's not having to go out to go shopping. We've got a roster and we make sure that there's food there and that people are seeing her but only going to see her if we are absolutely confident in our own health. I've got a sister and brother-in-law coming back from South America who are going through New Zealand and have to spend 14 days in isolation in New Zealand as of tomorrow morning. Well, Melbourne Victoria stuck over there. That's right. Look, the one thing about being an island country, as Australia is and as New Zealand is, they do have control over their borders, which other countries do not. So this 14 days isolation for anybody now entering the country hopefully will serve to at least stop the virus being brought in, which is, of course, the importation was how it began. So new, new um, outbreaks can be confined at least to within the country, which a lot of other nations would love to have those controls. And just on a funny, you know, gallows humour this is, Mexico has far less numbers than the USA, and Mexico has closed the US border. (laughs) Bit of a reversal. Correct. They're now now guarding the border, making sure Americans don't get into Mexico. Bit of karma in that, perhaps. Uh, (laughs) Maybe they'll build a wall. Well, as as I said, disturbing times. Uh, Be sensible and uh, follow the advice given. Look after the elderly, obviously, as you pointed out. Uh, We've all got to do our role. I'll tell you what, though, we can talk about some football that has actually been played finally. The AFLW season, uh, two games to go before the finals. Well, actually, they talked about, someone threw up, were they going to have the grand final this week to try and get it played before things get worse? That is not the case, the AFL says at this stage. However, we've had six rounds now, and um, 
a quick run through the ladders. Uh, Conference A in AFLW sees North Melbourne out on top uh, with 20 points, uh, five wins and only one loss from their six games. GWS uh, all but locked into their first finals appearance. They've got four wins now, really good win for them yesterday. Brisbane coming in third, still a chance. Uh, Gold Coast, still an outside chance. They beat West Coast yesterday. Uh, Forget the rest. And Conference B, Fremantle, still undefeated. Six wins from six starts. Uh, Carlton coming second. They're having another good season under Daniel Harford. Just lost the one game. Melbourne and Collingwood, still a chance. And forget about St Kilda and the Western Bulldogs. But got to say, finding like a lot of people, given there was no other footy on, uh, watched... All these games pretty closely, and I know we keep talking about it, a lot of people are cynical about it, but if you cannot see the improvement in the standard of AFLW, particularly this season, well, you're just not looking properly, because uh, no doubt in my mind, I've seen, well, I've watched all four seasons, the Western Bulldogs-Fremantle game yesterday out at uh, Witten Oval, the best game in AFLW across the four seasons I've seen in terms of standard. It was an absolute corker. Um, funnily enough, seeing the Bulldogs are at the or close to the bottom of their conference and Freo are on top. But the Bulldogs were terrific. And in the end, a very hard-fought 15-point win to the Dockers. 10-6, 66, defeating the Bulldogs. 8-3, 51. Gee, it was a cracking game. It was fast. Uh, the ball movement was open. Um, the skills were really good, uh, relatively high scores, um, as you just heard before. Uh, it was a cracking game, and I think uh, the consensus afterwards was, well, if that's the sort of footy we're going to see from now on, uh, we've got a pretty high standard competition. Yeah, Fremantle have withstood all challenges, haven't they? I'm not convinced that they're the best team, uh, but at six and zip, they make a good case, and they're going to be right up there vying for a grand final spot. If if I had to pick a premiership uh, winner this season, I reckon Carlton's the team to beat. Well, I, th- I would say right at the moment, the two best sides are Fremantle and North Melbourne. I think Carlton are, are close third and, prob- and GWS probably fourth, but a bit of a gap, I think, to the Giants. Um, that was yep. a pretty... Dower struggle they had, but uh, it, it kicked off on Friday evening with uh, North Melbourne uh, smashing Geelong, although even that game, Geelong kicked the first three goals in that game, and I thought, gee, a massive upset here, And whereupon the Roos rattled off 10 goals straight, 10-6-66, beating the Cats 3-2-20. Um, some tragic uh, news out of that game, though, and it was a knee injury to Nina Morrison, who had just returned from an ACL, and she's a gun player. I think anyone who saw her at the start of last season would agree she looked special and unfortunately did an ACL last year, was just coming back, and, uh, yeah, tragically has done it again, and horrible pictures of her being taken off and the the look of realisation on her face that uh, it was gone again. Uh, A real shame because she is a a special player. But North Melbourne, uh, they are a powerful unit. Three goals to Garner. Two to Gibson for them. Uh, Riddell, Emma Carney, uh, great for them. Bruton, she's a gun as well. Uh, they are definitely the side to beat. Collingwood, 
uh, looking better and better, and they had a, a big win in the end over Brisbane. Um, and these games, of course, played in front of basically no one, family, friends, and teammates who made very good de facto cheer squads, you've got to say. The Pies, 5-13-43, easily beating Brisbane 2-2-14. Your your I was going to say your boys your girls finally did a, a number on Richmond who are proving a bit of a chopping block the Saints six six forty two massive winners over Richmond who can manage only three behinds and that is the lowest score recorded thus far in AFLW when when you consider St Kilda really look like certain winners against Fremantle mm. and. Also against Adelaide, they were leading with a couple of minutes to go. Yeah, it's been a very good first season, and they've got an exciting. I mean, Patricios is a wonderful on baller. Their first pick in the in the draft, but yep. big guys are up at full forward. When you've got a player who can mark and kick from forty five meters, you've really got a target to go to. And I think she's hit the front in the goal kicking, but she's only just turned 21, I believe, and she's got a very bright future as a, as a spearhead. It, the AFL doesn't have it, but I think the AFLW does have potentially a couple of great spearheads for fans to, to latch onto. It's in, good fun. Yeah, and in fact, that's probably been one of the underlying themes of this season. I think the um, the goal kickers, your goal kicking targets are yeah. sort of very much in vogue in AFLW this season. Um, yeah, Grise is almost the uh, the Tex Perkins or um, Sarah Perkins of this season, I think. Speaking of which, she bobbed up for Melbourne and managed to go for the Demons, but they were overpowered in the end by the Blues, who are a very organised unit under Daniel Harford. Um, that Bulldogs-Fremantle game played yesterday afternoon. Uh, a, a gripping struggle between Adelaide and GWS over in Adelaide, won by the Giants in the end by just five points, 4-2 to 3-3. And then the round finished up in Perth with a comprehensive win to the Suns, 5-3-33, defeating West Coast 1-2-8. And you mentioned St Kilda, one of the new sides. Well, Gold Coast, no doubt they've been the most impressive of the four new sides. Their second win a draw to go with that as well, and still an outside finals chance. And for football in general on the Gold Coast, let alone women's football, that's a wonderful thing. I don't think that there'd be a huge distinction amongst supporters. Certainly the casual supporter that Gold Coast is trying to attract, I don't think there'd um, be much of a distinction between AFLW and AFL. They'd take success wherever it comes from, and... It might be the AFLW team that attracts supporters and maybe breaks through for football on the Gold Coast finally after trying the Brisbane Bears and everything else that's failed. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was the AFLW team playing in finals and maybe winning a grand final that finally breaks the bubble? Yeah, that, that would be fantastic, I think. Not uh, impossible. I, yeah, I've been thinking that myself. Uh, so there you have it, round six of the AFLW season, two rounds to go before finals and a different final system, of course, top three in either conference this year going through to finals. Let's just uh, keep fingers crossed that we actually get through the remaining rounds and the finals and we end up with an uninterrupted AFLW season because it's been a good one. All right, uh, there's enough for news feed this week um, because we are operating on the premise that round one of the men's season is about to kick off. 
It's time to preview some games, Finey. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Okay, well, it allegedly kicks off at the MCG on Thursday evening with the now traditional season opener, Richmond and Carlton, 7.25 at the MCG Thursday evening. Let's hope we get there. Well, we won't be getting Let's hope they get there. Actually, I probably will get there, but I'll be one of the few. Uh, boy, is that going to be weird. Uh, going to be hard not to sort of get waylaid by that. But um, think, it, think of the upside. If you are there, obviously as a journalist, you'll be able to – you won't have to queue up for pies. Well, I'm pretty confident they won't bother putting any on for any. Um, <laughs> it's going to be bizarre. But uh, the Tigers, the all-conquering Tigers – uh, going into this season opener against the Blues, uh, about whom you would have said at the end of last season, a fair bit of hope and expectation about them. But, uh, boy, have they uh, taken a hit on the injury front. And uh, I've got to say, Fonny, I'm looking at this game pretty hard not to see how that uh, doesn't become the overriding factor. No Eddie Betts strained a calf at training last week. He won't be part of it. Um, Charlie Curnow at least uh, half the season they're saying for him uh, Caleb Marchbank uh, test for him Harry Mackay another three weeks away he's done a groin injury test for Petrevsky seaton test for Lockie Plowman gee you're talking about uh, some pretty pivotal players there this is a side that would be well served if the season was put back by a month wouldn't they they are just not able to get to the line this Thursday with a team that could possibly compete against Richmond who find themselves in tip-top order. And it'll be very interesting to see what team Richmond select. Obviously, Marley and Pickett, who played his only game in the grand final last year, would be a fixture in the team to start off with. Sydney Stack uh, would force his way into that side. But everybody else is pretty healthy. They've been bullish about a couple of the youngsters but you know this is a very strong Richmond side you you have a look at just the power that they've got with Rewalt and Lynch up front and that brilliant small division working off them Dustin Martin's ready to take the season and take you know start off I think as a, a powerful force because he was a bit slow the last couple of years getting into gear but I think he's ready to hit this season full speed if it does start on Thursday, and there's no picking Carlton in this game. And may I say, regardless of whether this round happens or not, I think it's interesting to do our predictions and just see where teams are placed at this point in the year, and Richmond look tip in tip-top shape. Well, they, they do, and their injury list, as you uh, remarked upon, is as short as anyone in the leagues. I mean, in terms of you know first-choice 22... Kane Lambert, who got concussed in that second Marsh game, he's the only one who's even remotely doubtful. I mean, you've got uh, Jack Graham coming back off off a shoulder. Uh, Camden McIntosh, who who didn't make the last grand final side. So I think Toby Nankervis has had a bit of a, a ductor issue, but um, it's basically a full list from which to choose. So on that basis, you can't possibly go past the Tigers, can you? No, no, they would be probably my lock for round one. And uh, ditto for me. All right, uh, let's talk about the second game of round one, Friday at Marvel Stadium, 7.50pm. And uh, this, in terms of uh, potential 
close contests and expected top teams. This is vying for match of the round status, I reckon, is the Western Bulldogs against Collingwood. Now, in complete contrast to what we're saying about Richmond, the injury toll for both these sides is uh, pretty long indeed. The Bulldogs, uh, Tory Dixon, uh, he's got a test. Uh, Taylor Duray, he's out for five weeks with a groin injury. Um, Lin Jong, he's out for five weeks with a hamstring. Uh, Tom Liberatore, four weeks away with a knee. Aaron Norton, of course, had that knee surgery. Uh, he's going to miss another couple of weeks. So some some big names missing for the doggies. But ditto uh, for Collingwood. They think Taylor Adams will be okay. But uh, beyond him, you've got uh, well, Levi Greenwood still coming back from the ACL. Uh, Tom Langdon, he's still on the indefinite list with a, a knee. Ben Reid, the perennial Ben Reid on the injury list, he's uh, got a test to pass on an ankle injury. Adam Trelaw, the main casualty for them out of the Marsh series, uh, tweaked a hamstring against Richmond in that second Marsh game. Travis Varco, at least a month away with a shoulder. So uh, some big names missing there. Yeah, both teams will go in without probably one key player each. Aaron Norton is a key player for the Bulldogs, as is Adam Trelaw for Collingwood. If Adams was not to play for Collingwood, that would leave them sorely undermanned in the midfield, where, of course, the Bulldogs present the greatest challenge. Bontempelli, the new captain, will line up in the middle of the ground. That is the plan this year, and he's going to join Dunkley, McRae, Lockie Hunter, high-possession winners, uh, Bailey Smith, who was so impressive in his first season last year, adds some grunt to that midfield. They've got other options to run through the middle of the ground as well. Their forward line presents well, even without Norton, because Josh Bruce is a great addition. Sam Lloyd was fantastic last year. He's not going anywhere. He's a a, a real menace near goals. And they've just got, I think, uh, enough power through the middle of the ground, especially with Collingwood a man or two down, to take this game. Alex Keith in the back line. Collingwood's forward line doesn't present a huge challenge to the tall. So I, I think Alex Keith might be spared a direct opponent. Uh, somebody has to pick up Mason Cox, and that would probably fall to a Zane Cordy. And, you know, they can play on maybe... A, who who would you play on Majacek? A, a Crozier? Or a, oh, I think Crozier would be a good choice. I think he's someone... That, that frees be... up Keith... To yep. play that intercept role with greater freedom, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think uh, my check someone who can be taken by a, a medium-sized yep. defender. Yep. Um, Crozier would be a very good choice, actually. Um, who are you tipping? Oh, the Bulldogs. Oh, no gimme for me. I reckon it's a big toss of the coin job. You always have that feeling the Pies aren't quite as good a team at, uh, under the roof as elsewhere. I'm not sure why that is. I think their record... There is okay, but uh, Bulldogs do play it particularly well. Um, so flip of the coin for me, but I am going for the Bulldogs Don't in the finish. Don't you feel that that midfield, that very strong midfield, whoever they play against would need their own midfield to be fit and firing, and I don't think Collingwood's quite there at the moment. Yeah, well, Trelaw, obviously, a big loss, and, and Adams, question mark. So, yeah, no, a fair point. Uh, so Bulldogs for both of us there. Um Staying at Marvel Stadium, Saturday afternoon, 1.45pm, and speaking of injuries, 
Uh, Essendon finally make their 2020 debut against Fremantle coming across from the other side of the continent. And uh, let's talk about those Essendon injuries because there's a few of them. Paddy Ambrose, uh, knee injury for him. He's going to miss six to seven weeks. Tom Bell Chambers, it says here test, but uh, very confident he won't be playing. Uh, Knee injury for him. Joe Danaher, of course, on the indefinite list, may not see him for half a season. Dyson Heppel uh, has had some more issues with that uh, troublesome foot, and you won't be seeing him. Kale Hooker. That's a real worry, isn't it, that... Well, we head into the season and it's at foot again. Yep, and uh, it's certainly thrown up a few more uh, complications than they were hoping for. Kale Hooker, hip injury for him. He won't be playing for at least the first two or three rounds. Uh, and a test on David Zarakis, who got uh, a particularly bad corky in that second Marsh game against Geelong. Uh, Dockers have got a few injury worries as well. Uh, some key players for them in a bit of strife. Their recruit from St Kilda, Blake Akers. Bad hamstring tear for him. Yep. He's looking at six to eight weeks out. Uh, big loss in structural terms for them. Joel Hamling, uh, ankle injury from him. He could be out for uh, 10 or so weeks. Stephen Hill, and uh, I did see uh, when Hill got hurt, I think in that first March game, Quad injury for him. He has just missed so much footy. Um, so he's on the sidelines as well. Of course, Jesse Hogan, sadly, has some real uh, issues. He's got a face with mental health. Won't be seeing him. A test for David Mundy with a leg injury. Alex Pierce, an important defender. Uh, three to four weeks for him with an ankle injury. And Nathan Wilson, uh, important running defender. He's out for three or four weeks with the toe injury. So uh, in terms of key personnel to the side. You'd almost say the Dockers' injury list is worse. Both of those teams would be right for the picking for most clubs, given that injury list. So it's almost fair that they meet each other. And if Fremantle have any claims on winning interstate and and they've got no better opportunity than a, a wounded Essendon. Likewise, Essendon finalist last year couldn't possibly contemplate holding that position if they can't beat Fremantle with those injuries at Marvel Stadium. The key players are going to be the deciders in this game. You know, Nat Fife has the ability to take a game by the scruff of the neck and he becomes such an important player, as does Essendon's match winners. And I'm talking about a Jake Stringer a McDonald Tipping Woody, the kind of guys that really, in a matter of 10 to 15 minutes, can put the game beyond doubt. I just feel that certainly playing the game at Marvel, certainly the injury list and the structural damage caused by not having Hamling and Pierce, for example, in the side, and a forward line that remains sketchy and undefined, leaves Fremantle vulnerable and I'll be tipping Essen in this. And I don't mind Bell Chambers not playing because I think the pickup of Andrew Phillips was you know, a very wise one and for a cheap price they've got not just a replacement for Bell Chambers but I think an improvement. Yeah, I've got to say I tend to agree with you on that score. I think he's been really impressive in those pre-season games. This is the first game we've talked about where the non-crowd really shapes as a factor, doesn't it? Because um, you know, Essendon, home state advantage with their own crowd there. Um, that's one 
uh, hurdle the Dockers don't have to worry about. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, if we do play football without a crowd, and I think we will at some point in time, it'll be a very interesting small sample experiment, a small sample run on exactly what is home ground, a home state advantage. Is it mainly umpire influence or is it familiarity with the dimensions of the ground? Because goodbye umpire influence. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's uh, There'll certainly be a lot of people watching the free kick counts in these first few rounds, presuming they're played played without spectators as the purest possible test, I guess, of the integrity of umpiring and the... Uh, no more sound of affirmation. The roar of affirmation, was it? Yeah. I think Alan Richardson sort of coined that phrase. All right, so we're both going for the Bombers there. Saturday afternoon, uh, 4.35 East Coast time uh, in Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. You have the Crows taking on the Swans and uh, we've been talking about injuries. Well, uh, both these sides, not too many on the injury list. Uh, Some key players, though, among them. Uh, For Sydney, none bigger, obviously, than Lance Franklin. uh, Had knee surgery in the off-season. He's still at least... I think three weeks away, a uh, bit of a test for Sam Reid on a calf injury. Crows have done very well on the injury front. Uh, the only couple of absentees for them, Riley Knight, uh, about three weeks off with an Achilles injury, and Tom Doty, um, or Dude. Uh, I've, uh, I can never get the pronunciation right, and I did. You know what? I interviewed him and I asked him but I've already forgotten what the response was. Um, he's probably a week or two weeks away with a knee injury. Adelaide-Sydney at Adelaide Oval, what happens? It's it's interesting, except for Richmond-Carlton. A lot of this round looks as though it's been matched by a boxing promoter because I think, again, a very fair contest. Two teams that... Uh, we think are going to struggle. Are going to expectations, and we just are used to Adelaide being very hard to beat in Adelaide and Sydney being ultra-competitive everywhere. Well, I think we have to downgrade our expectations for both, but I don't want to sell Sydney short, and I think Sydney can actually go to Adelaide and cause a bit of an upset. Again, no crowd plays strongly into the favour of teams that have interstate travel, either coming away, you know, leaving their state to come to Victoria or any team playing interstate does battle that crowd noise and all that is associated with it. Now, Sydney were disappointing in the pre-season, probably the most disappointing team, them and Carlton. But I think Sydney have, over the years, led us to understand that they don't put a great deal of store in pre-season form. And in both games, I was very impressed by what seems to be a fit Josh Kennedy. He didn't play both games in terms of full four quarters, so his numbers might not be huge. But I think he and Parker actually hit the season very fit. Adelaide's midfield, here's the big watch for me. On paper, two Crouches and Sloan make for a powerhouse core. I'm not sure whether they deliver what Adelaide need in terms of getting the ball and distributing it particularly well. I, I I just think there's maybe... Sloan's not quite as dynamic as he used to be, and I think the Crouchers are a little bit stodgy themselves. It'll be really interesting to see, Riley. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's the um, it's the lack of depth in their midfields. Yeah, I'm saying, but they are the core, aren't they? Yeah. And oh, I, yeah. And a lot of people look at that core and say, that's strong. I'm not sure that is that strong. Mm. Just 
personally. Tom Lynch is a key player for them. Last year, interrupted by injury and illness. We'll see how he bounces back. Taylor Walker, hasn't he been a much-talked-about footballer throughout his time you know, as captain and now beyond? I'm unconvinced by Adelaide. I know that this is an upset selection, but I will go for Sydney Swans in this. On the back of a commanding centre-half back, Alira Lira, I'm very impressed by him. And a small forward brigade with Papley, maybe Ronke, certainly Heaney, mid-sized going down there, and Nick Blakey, causing enough damage on the scoreboard to win the game. Yeah, I'm not sure it's that big an upset, to be honest. I mean, the Crows... Uh, pre-season, what did they do? They got beaten by Melbourne down at Casey. They they were okay in that game, but overpowered in the end, and then they got beaten by Gold Coast in yeah. Adelaide. So yeah, nothing, nothing to write home about no, there. No, um, and and the Swans weren't overly impressive either, as you say. Oh, look, I think for me, well, home state advantage, uh, crowd irrelevant. Uh, boy, there's a few things you have got to keep reminding yourself about this. It's interesting isn't round it? one, isn't it? Um, Look, I, I think Adelaide, whilst they lost both those Marsh games, they, they weren't shocking, whereas Sydney, uh, particularly in that GWS game, they, they were pretty terrible. Um, there's a couple of things I, I liked about the Crows. I really like the look of uh, Davis, is Ben Davis, um, in both those Marsh games. I thought he really looms as a, a potential key forward option this season. So, Do you think Darcy Fogarty can step up for them? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, you that, know. That's a, big, that's a big plus for them if they can get that mid-sized power forward to kick two or three goals a game. Yeah, well, they've got a number of players like that who we saw glimpses of last year who could really, uh, you know, have a great opportunity to step up under a, a new coach, Matthew Nix, and really... Uh, become established parts of that side. Gallucci, you know, the the best moustache in footy. But, uh, is he a forward or can he step up to play on ball? I reckon on, an on ball is, is what yeah. he strikes me as. So, Polky? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't, why does that remind me of Polkinghorn? Because um, it's a similar name. Yeah, well, probably, yeah. I don't know why I asked that. Uh, yeah, look, a number of guys who I think, uh, you know, it's def- definitely a transitional season for them and the Swans I guess they've been transitioning for a, a couple of seasons now and that continues with them I'm, I'm going for Adelaide although the basis on which you'd often do this in a game like this is oh you know home crowd home well it's irrelevant but it, it still is in Adelaide on a ground they are more familiar with uh, crows for me for that one Saturday evening, uh, up at Metricon Stadium, 7.25 East Coast. Well, it's not East Coast time, is it? Because they're they're East Coast, but they're they're not not on Daylight daylight Savings. savings. Uh, So 7.25 Melbourne time, I'll say that. I know we have listeners all over the globe. Eastern Daylight Savings time. Eastern Daylight Savings time, that's right. AEDT. Quite a few injuries for um, the Suns, particularly. Uh, Ballard, a shoulder injury. He's going to miss about six weeks. Jack Hompsch, a rib injury. He's going to miss a couple. Anthony Miles, a chest injury for him. Um, Not sure when he's going to play. Um, What what happens in this one? I'm... You okay there, Roman? Never excited to see somebody I just, cough. 
I just threw it to you to pick up a slack while well, I... Well, well, just, you know, coughs. So I've got to be very cautious. Um, injuries on the on the other side of the ledger? Uh, yes, there are a few. Thanks for that. Um, Charlie Dixon uh, tweaked a groin in that second pre-season game, uh, looking at a couple of weeks on the uh, sidelines. One... Uh, we don't know how long he's going to be, unfortunately, is uh, we Willem. Willem Drew? Oh, Willem who? Sorry, yes, I forgot from last year. Willem who? Willem Drew. I thought you were going to talk about uh, the family that you're very friendly with now, the Wineses. Uh, yes, and a big hello to Jane Wines and uh, co. Um, yeah, Ollie, unfortunately, shoulder injury for him, five or six weeks on the sidelines for Ollie. Um, so a couple of big names there for them. Um, some other Gold Coast injuries too. I didn't get through them all before um, I had to cough. Alex Sexton is probably the key one for them. He is a really good forward for them. And uh, unfortunately, in that second Marsh game against the Crows, uh, tweaked a hammy and he's looking at a couple of weeks on the sidelines. A test also for uh, co skipper Jared Witts on a foot injury. Uh, good news, Rory Thompson. Finally back from an ACL, but uh, still sort of easing his way through, so probably won't play. Um, it's going to be interesting to see whether there is any obvious improvement in the Suns this season. I've got to say, their Marsh series form was pretty encouraging. It's funny, that they've had two horror seasons, but both of those seasons started quite promisingly. Yeah, three out of five and three out of four. That's and, right. Yeah. So no matter what they do in round one, you still wait to see whether or not they can maintain a, a decent standard of football through the first half of the season, let alone a whole season if we do have one. The loss of Charlie Dixon is key for Port Adelaide because as much as he has been at times frustrating and a little disappointing, he still is a clear target up forward that they need to kick the ball to. I'm going to tip Gold Coast in this. Uh, I I think that they've recruited well. Brandon Ellis off the back line. Um, the Himmelberg is, a I think, a really handy pickup and going to be used on ball. So here's a team that I, th- I think is in good form again at the start of the season. Their pre-season form indicates that they're right, ready to go. Jared Witts is expected to play. He's a man-mountain, isn't he? He's such an important Mm. player to them. But he's working now with the midfield. Darcy McPherson, Braden Fiorini. They've got a few years under their belt, and they're they're no push over the Gold Coast midfield. So with Harbrow and Ellis running the ball out of the back line... I think they can win this game. Uh, brave selection and uh, certainly um, not a silly selection. They've got their claims. I'm sticking with Port, though. I think Port have looked pretty reasonable in the in the preseason uh, exposed form we've seen. Um, always unpredictable, and I always feel a bit nervous tipping them, particularly up there. But, again, uh, the crowd advantage not a factor. Or disadvantage in well, their case. It'll be a pretty similar crowd to the normal. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Haven't there been a few jokes along those lines uh, in the last few days? Uh, I'm going for Port to win that one. Now, here's a good game, Finey. GWS coming off that grand final defeat, taking on Geelong at Giant Stadium, 725 AEDT. Uh, quick run through the injuries. 
Um, the big one for GWS, of course, Tim Taranto, uh, that shoulder uh, surgery he's had to have, and he's uh, looking at a comeback as late as July, which actually could be about the start of a season. Uh, Zach Williams, test on an Achilles for him. Callum Ward's still a month or so away. Uh, apart from that, they're looking pretty okay. Cat's uh, got a few as well. Nakia Cockatoo, is he ever not on the injury list? Uh, three weeks away with a hamstring. Mitch Duncan, he's got to pass a test to make it to the start line. And uh, Joel Selwood, there's the big one for them, the inspirational skipper coming off a hamstring, and he faces a test as well. be interesting to see how Geelong line up in this. Uh, they've really struggled to nail down a first ruck position over the last couple of years, and there's a suggestion that Darcy Fort might get first first bite at the cherry. Well, which... he played in, and played in Marsh 2. He looked good. Yeah, he was okay. They might run with him. Uh, Gary Ablett showed very little in the... Marsh series games and never ride off a champion, so expect him to perform better. That being said, uh, by the way, Jack Stephen looked encouraging in the second of the Marsh yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, he was along. good. And that's important because their midfield depth is going to be tested without Selwood and with Kelly going to West Coast. They're, they're going to need Jack Stephen up and running. Josh Jenkin is only Z- a rough, you know, he's not going to be in the team, is he? Uh, isn't he? I don't, I don't think there's a spot for him. No, I think they'll go with Hawkins and Radigalia, and I can't see a spot for him. If they're going to play a second tall, it'll be Reece Stanley before Jenkins. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he played uh, He played about half that second Marsh game. Yeah, yeah, no, look, it's a fair enough question. Anyhow, no matter how they shuffle the cards, deck chairs, or anything else they wish to shuffle, they're not going to beat GWS in round one because GWS have got the following. The best forward line in the competition, I believe, for firepower. No, equal with Richmond. Firepower, versatility, and danger. And I'm talking about Jeremy Cameron is a great target. Um, Finlayson. Finlayson is a wonderful foil. And Toby Green is the most dangerous. And Himmelberg. Small, small to mid um, going around. Yeah, the he looks in really good touch too, the Tobster. That. Zach Langdon's a good small pressure forward. Yep, he kicks he goals. Kick five in that second marsh game. They're midfield with Kelly looking fit, Canilio looking strikingly fit, Whitfield to run off the halfback flank through the midfield. Who wouldn't want a midfield like that? Put Hopper in. And a couple of these youngsters that have put their hand up for selection, the likes of Haightley and Green. And the back line that gets the job done. Aiden Core is a no-frills defender. Phil Davis is a very good centre-half back in general. He sure keeps on keeping on. Zach Williams might not be playing, but uh, they'll still get run out of there with Hayne. And Adam Z- Kett, Haynes. What is he correct. leaving the S off everyone's name today? Oh, I'm abbreviating. Haynes, that's a very good team, isn't it? It is. They, they are, and they, they've looked red hot. Incredible depth. Uh, hard to think of another side that's got the depth they have. Correct. Uh, no, GWS for me, GWS for you. Uh, Sunday afternoon, Marvel Stadium, one ten, North Melbourne taking on your Saints. And uh, talking about injury lists, the Saints, uh, they have Zero. This, yeah, well, Jaron Geary. Um, yeah, he had a f- facial fracture. Yeah, he's fine. Sounds, sounds bad. Yeah, no, he's fine. Uh, okay, he is fine, according to uh, fitness well, he'll man pl- he'll Mark play. Fine. 
Um, for the Roos, uh, some oh well, the one obvious one there, Ben Brown, calf injury for Benny, and uh, will miss potentially the first couple of games. Uh, Luke Davies, Uniac, groin injury, TBC on that to uh, either to be confirmed or Tom Bell Chambers. Uh, <laughs> we'll miss a couple. Uh, ben Jacobs, of course, still with those concussion issues. Uh, Marley Williams suspended suspended until round three. So uh, a few pivotal uh, outs there for the Ruse. Um, what do you make of their preseason? I'm just trying to remember it, to be honest. Yeah, they they beat Sydney, and what was the other one? Uh, did they play Melbourne? No. Nope. I can't remember who they played in the second game. I'm pretty sure they lost it though. Well, you talk it while I remember. You recall it. They just, um, they're not really adding much to the mix from last year. And with Ben Brown out, that's not one of their main assets was a really good marking forward line with Nick Larkey coming into the team. And there was concerns last year with Jared Waite leaving whether or not Ben Brown would be adversely affected. But uh, Very quickly, yeah. I saw Jared Waite play in the NTFL Grand Final on Saturday night um, for uh, St Mary's, who uh, didn't do a heap. Um, And uh, Nycliffe won their second flag in a row over St Mary's by, I think it was about 13 points in the end. You're looking for your football far and wide, aren't you? The lack of Ben Brown, I think, is a big loss for them. Zeeble, Pollock, both slightly interrupted pre-seasons, but they were able to get to the line for the last of the Marsh Community Series games, so that was important for them. And they come up against a St Kilda that is probably the most interesting of looks in round one because they've got so many new players. We saw them integrated through two Marsh Community games and they look pretty good. Bradley Hill, who wouldn't want a Brad Hill in their team, line breaker, but a beautiful kick into the forward line, which is what any team yearns for, good delivery into the forward line. Uh, Dougal Howard seems to hold his end up very well as a key defender. Zach Jones looked very good in the second of the Marsh games. He didn't play in the first. He did play in that game against Hawthorne where he was St Kilda's best in between the two Marsh community games. So his speed helps. And with the full list to choose from, St Kilda would have no excuses. Go into this as favourite. Expect them to win and I think they will. Yeah, I agree. I think they've looked really sharp and always pick up some other clubs, look like they're going to offer something pretty obvious and very regularly. And that second North Marsh game, by the way, was against the Bulldogs and they got uh, toweled up that night. They weren't that impressive at all. Um, Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I'm pretty bullish about the Saints uh, this season, as indeed I know you are. So St Kilda for both of us for that one. Uh, second last game, uh, allegedly, in the alleged round one, and it's Hawthorne taking on Brisbane, the boom team of 2019, Sunday afternoon at the MCG 320. Another promoter matchup, isn't it? I think a beautiful matchup for round one. Yeah, I, I would have been more enthusiastic about it a couple of weeks ago than right now. Brisbane, in, incidentally, talking about injuries, nil. Yep. No one. Absolutely no one on the injury list. Which, which was, was the, a hallmark of last year. Correct. Um, not the case with the Hawks. Jack Gunston looks like he's going to miss a couple with an ankle. Um, 
Blake Hardwick, uh, serious chest injury for him. He's looking like being out for some time. Must have torn the pectoral muscle. Yeah. Uh, Jarman Impey's still on the comeback trail from that ACL. Mitch Lewis rolled an ankle, and he's out for a couple of weeks. Um, so some key losses there, particularly out forward. No Gunston, no Lewis. We've got uh, Jonathan Patton, of course, making his debut for the Hawks, but um, yeah, there's some pivotal losses for them. They'll call on Tim O'Brien again to fill the void up forward for a second tall. He did that pretty well in the last third of last season, so he's got the opportunity to not only press a claim for a spot in the side, but to hold that spot, because I think the general consensus was with Mitch Lewis, Patton and Gunston, he might struggle to make the team, but here's a real chance for Tim O'Brien to pitchfork himself into the season. He wants the game to go ahead. I, I, look, I'm certainly one of those who think the Hawks can really improve quickly this year. But And again, it comes back to how much stock you put in that pre-season form. But they were pretty ordinary, to be honest, in both Marsh games, weren't they? I mean, they got um, beaten pretty easily by Melbourne down in um, Launceston in that, was that the, their second game? or Yeah, no, that was their first game, I think. No, second game. Their first game was against St Kilda. Oh, that's right, and they and they got towed up in that as well. So, haven't been that impressive, and those injuries really worry me. Um, I think I've got to go for Brisbane on that basis. I'm definitely going for Brisbane. They're, they're an impressive team, and don't think that last year was a flash in the pan. They've got so much speed around the ball, and obviously the midfield is marshalled by and led by Lockie Neal, whose ball-winning ability is second to none. Zorko provides power, but you've got beautiful mover like McLuggage coming out of the middle. Berry's a very good on-baller. Their forward line, Charlie Cameron, I mean, there's no putting a, a handle on him. If, if he's on, he's on, and he's going to make you pay. Eric Hipwood remains a bit of a tantalising prospect, but as long as he's... An enigma. He is an enigma. As long as he's competing, that's the main thing. They get very good returns from Oscar McInerney, who's very hard to match up against. And Lincoln McCarthy, we know last year, was the man for the... You know, cometh the hour, cometh the man, but he's a good small forward as well. I think Birchville will be an interesting watch, mainly in his first game playing against the team that he's synonymous with having so much success with. and I wonder if that was highlighted in, you know, the, every time they re- release a new fixture, someone yeah, writes yeah, a thing yeah. about, Correct. is this a this showpiece? This is the matchup. Yeah. Wow, Grant Virtual play against his old side. The AFL take advantage of Grant. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly yeah. was when Luke Hodge was playing against Hawthorne. Yeah. And all of this with the best key defender in the competition, I think now with the retirement of Alex Rance. I think Harris he, Andrews. Yeah, I think he's the best key defender. Be cool. Oh, he's a fantastic Oh, no, player. he's very good. He's but, fantastic. Um, Never beaten in the air. Beautiful mark. Great judgment. He's the, well, you know, he made the Victorian team. He's, Robbie Tarrant? Oh, not even close. Not even close. Not to Harris Andrews, he's he isn't. Pre- he's pretty good. He's very good, Harris Andrews. Oh, that's my call. Yeah. I'm happy to discuss it with you on air or off air. But Live or die by it? Oh, I'm happy to live or die. I'm I'm going to stake my reputation on it. Oh, he's a beauty. Uh, and guys like Witherden and Rich coming out of the back line, aren't they good users of the ball? So I've got no no fear in picking Brisbane in this one. Uh, I've, yeah, I, there's a... No trepidation here. Yeah, no, I don't either, actually, now I think about it. And uh, the alleged round one allegedly wraps up in uh, the alleged, no, it is a definite city, Perth, 
on Sunday evening, 6.20 AEDT, so that'll be 3.20 over in Perth, West Coast taking on Melbourne. And um, another ripper. Yeah, well, Melbourne have, have looked. You can definitely. I think most people expect Melbourne to improve significantly, don't they? And they were pretty handy in uh, both Marsh games, weren't they? They beat uh, Adelaide in that first one and Hawthorne second time around. Petrarca looks in particularly sharp form. Um, Viney for uh, the first time in years hits the season fit yes and the other one who uh, particularly last game bobbed up and looked terrific Jake Melksham spot on Um, and Bailey Frick yeah um, well Fritch and Melksham nine between them I think and that was a a key to their 2018 wasn't it we talk about their you know they really need a key forward but they got so many goals out of those sort of medium sized forwards midfielders uh, resting forward etc um, that was a real plus for them. It looks like they're they're sort of back on track in that regard. Don't underestimate the importance of a fit Neville Jetta. They really missed him yes. last year. Yes, no, very good call. Uh, Injury-wise, uh, who are they missing? Not too many, actually. Um, most of the players that they're without are guys that probably wouldn't be in their first-choice team. I think Sam Wiedemann's got a test on an ankle injury. Uh, the Eagles uh, missing a few. Jared Cameron, a pubic bone injury. He will miss a couple of months, apparently. Tom Cole, about six weeks for him with a thumb injury. Uh, Jack Darling should be okay. He had a cheekbone injury. He'll be okay. Uh, test for Oscar Allen. Um yeah, this, and, this and, is the ultimate test of no crowd for mine. Well, I was going to say, it, it is, it really is, isn't it? I mean, it is just such a huge factor over there, and it's just non-existent this time. So, who's had the better form? Uh, you'd say Melbourne's probably had the better pre-season form. Um, what are you, what's going to happen? Look, we know this, that Melbourne, through their um, sort of uh, video offering that they, what was it called, back from, to Helen back? No, something like that. We know that they are going to hit the season from the first game extremely hard. They're not easing in. They're in no position to ease their way into 2020. They are desperate to put 2019 behind them by having a good start to the year. And what better place to do it than in the West against the West Coast Eagles? Mm. You know what? Even without a crowd there, I still think it's <laughs> I still think it's, it's a um sort of a. a Daunting prospect for umpires. What do I mean by that? If they've got to stay at the hotel, they've got to t- catch a taxi. Every <laughs> well, they might have their drinks spiked. Yeah, or they'll something. be threatened by ground staff, and, chanting and crowds outside the window <laughs> at night. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for you. I'm going to tip the West Coast Eagles because you know they're a good team. They add Tim Kelly. There was a suggestion that the year would start without McGovern and Barras. That has not. Uh, materialised, which means that that back line is so hard to play against. And Melbourne's forward line, yes, Fritch and Melcham are dangerous, but you've got to stop intercept marking and you've got to stop them getting in transit out of the back line. And I can't see Melbourne doing it. I'm tipping West Coast here, but it's a really interesting watch. It is, uh, and I'm going to go for what will be a, an upset here. Um, I think the lack of a home crowd is massive for Melbourne. I think their form's better, and whilst, don't get me wrong, I think West Coast is going to have a very good season, 
Um, but uh, I've played it pretty conservatively up till now, and I think you've got to take a calculated gamble with your tipping, and uh, that's going to be my one. I'm going for the Demons to win over a strangely subdued home crowd in um, in this round well, one clash. Well, they still have the messages on hold. <laughs> oh, I don't suffer. They'll have a cardboard cutout. Or that, that big guy in the cheer squad who Mickey O'Loughlin uh, came up close and personal with. They'll have a cardboard cutout of him holding messages on hold. Um, all right, that, that is a round one. Let's just keep our fingers crossed that uh, it actually happens. I'll tell you what is going to actually happen, though, Finey. So... Um, Popular has proved the vinyl and video segment in our summer edition that we're keeping it. With an addition. With an addition, and we'll tell you about that right now. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, vinyl and video continues throughout this season and we've decided to expand the repertoire a bit finey, as well as our favourite memories of music, movies and TV uh, to uh, strengthen the tie to the actual football. We decided to come up with, uh, continuing the V theme, perhaps a VFL memory of the year in question. Now you got, That you, is the old VFL that became the AFL. Yes. And, oh, good uh, idea. Yeah, I backed myself into a corner there because we wanted some choices post-1990. Uh, what year have you chosen for this week? Well, we've spun back to 1974. Oh, any particular reason why? Um, no, but it turned to be, for me, it turned to be fertile ground in all four categories, which is rare. There's normally a weekie, but I love all four categories. My selections in all four categories, I think, are strong. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And uh, we didn't even argue the toss over any of them, which I thought we would. Let's start with music. Okay, some uh, quick apologies. You had a couple of Queen albums that year. Craftworks Autobahn. Great album. I've got it. I uh, came out uh, and a, a real favourite of mine when I was a kid. I remember I got this for my birthday and absolutely loved it. Backman Turner Overdrive, Not Fragile. Uh, with that classic roll on down the highway. But I couldn't go past this, Finey, an iconic Australian album, a massive album in the uh, context of Australian music history. I'm talking of Living in the 70s by Skyhooks. What an album this was. Change A real game changer for Australian music and Australian radio too because you started hearing a lot of Australian stuff played on the radio. The uh, track listing, Living in the 70s, still a great track. Whatever Happened to the Revolution, Baldwin Calling, Horror Movie, You Just Like Me Because I'm Good in Bed, Carlton, uh, bracket, Ligon Street Limbo, Turak Cowboy, Smut, Hey What's the Matter, and Motorcycle Bitch. Notable in a couple of respects here, the uh, local referencing, which, uh, you know, we, we got used to hearing songs about laying on Arkansas grass, and then all of a sudden we had songs about Baldwin and Carlton and... Turak, and I think five songs were banned from being played on the air because of inappropriate language. Did, did you like this album? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Horror movie was... Look, yeah, with, I mean, living in the 70s and horror movie probably equal billing as the top tracks. And yep. the reason I loved it is I think it was preceded... Was it preceded by Ego is Not a Dirty Word? No, that was the, like, the follow-up okay. album. Okay, so... This was 
to me, the essential Skyhooks. Yeah. Oh, it's their best album. Rocky, raunchy, a little bit fun, a little bit heading into, not novelty, a little bit heading Tongue into- Tongue in cheek. Yeah, a little bit heading into um, sort of cabaret, on, on stage vaudeville. Yeah. With how they perform these songs. But if you take the vision away from it, you know, Shirley Strawn, a really good range as a singer, hitting high notes, but- Still able to provide good rocky voice. I tell you what, look, some I'm looking through the track listing, and there's a, a few songs on that that haven't necessarily aged well. But living in the seventies, the track that is a, a really good, you know, and a, a really good rock song, yeah, which I, I still think stands up. And it was, um, you know, we were both what nine years old, but I remember it vividly when this came out. It yep. really was. A game changer. And you mentioned Shirley Strawn, of course, the late Shirley Strawn on lead vocals. Greg McCainch um, wrote a lot of the songs on bass. Bongo Starkey on guitar. Red Simons, of course, uh, to a lot of people, a radio uh, personality, but for, first and foremost, a guitarist was so Skyhooks. So there was a lot of theatre, wasn't there, with, oh, Red, yeah. with Red and Shirley? Yeah, and... yeah. And Freddie Strokes on the drums. Yeah. He used to wear the, was it the Prussian War helmet? Yep. Uh, this is how big that album was. 16 weeks at number one in the charts. Uh, which at that stage made it the highest-selling Australian album ever and ranked in a uh, survey of the 100 best Australian albums came in at number nine, Living in the 70s by Skyhooks. Your choice. I stay in Australia. I don't have an album, but it almost goes as long as an album. Stevie Wright, of course, the <laughs> yeah. um, powerhouse, iconic, semi-sort of tragic figure, lead singer of... The first great Australian band, I believe, the Easy Beats, uh, went on his own and produced a a sort of a rock opera type number with Evie parts one, two, and three, and I think they are all brilliant. You've got balladeering, you've got hard rock, and you've just got some sort of sentiments that are so Australian, even though he wasn't born in Australia, but it was such Australian rock. And I love it. I still love it to this day, actually, and I can listen to it any time. Evie's part one, two, and three. It was it was massive. I must say, I, I was as you'd probably expect. I, I was always keen to edit out the part two bit and just stitch part one and part yeah, three. Yeah, no, no, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind the balladeering. I think it it led to a uh, it, it it pulled back from part one and made part three. Welcome and powerful. What was it? Uh, and and radio played it all too. What yep. was it? Total running I'm time. I'm not sure. I, not that long. I reckon about seven minutes. Yeah. I think they were sort of two, maybe the middle section, two minutes and two and a half either side. I yeah. felt. Yeah. We can check it up. But it's if you haven't listened to it, if you're young and you don't know it, and I think you'd have to be young to not know it. It stands up. I still find it eminently listenable to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, well, part one really rocks, doesn't it? You know, great, great riff. Yeah, and I, but I love, you know, the sort of, as it comes out of the slow eve yeah. of part two, um, you get some instrumental sort of gear changes, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, no. then, and then back to his very great ability to sing raw and hard. No, very, very important uh, piece of music in the pantheon of Australian rock music. Good choice. Stevie. Evie Wright. by Stevie. Evie, parts one, two, and three. All right, let's turn our attention to movies. And I know what a lot of people are thinking here. Ah, 1974, you're going to choose. And you know what? 
Neither of us have, and I'm talking about Godfather 2. So big apology up front. I love The Godfather, great movie, and Godfather 2. And I remember my father, who was a film critic, um, used to say it was the only... Only great sequel. Well, the only sequel that he thought was actually better than the original. Well, well regarded amongst... The knowledgeable set as yeah. the greatest of all sequels. Yeah, and a great movie. But in the end, I went for one that, uh, you know, it wasn't huge. Enough people would have seen it. I think it did okay. But, um, gee, it was a big year for movies. You had um, Godfather 2, Chinatown, Blazing Saddles, Towering Inferno, a great political thriller with Warren Beatty, The Parallax View. Um, but I've gone for, oh, sorry, Great Gatsby also came out that year. I've gone for a thriller, and this is absolute edgier seat stuff. It just, from go to woe, The Taking of Pelham 123, featuring Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, Martin Balsam, and Hector Elizondo. Uh, briefly, have you seen it? I saw it. The original? Yep. And there's also been a remake of it as well. Yeah, it's uh, about a group of uh, uh, crooks who hijack a train in the subway system in New York City, take 18 people hostage, and demand $1 million ransom to be delivered in an hour. Otherwise, they start killing the hostages. Walter Matthau is the grizzled old cop who is uh, thrown onto the case, and he is in communication with the uh, leader of the uh, crooks, um, Robert Shaw, brilliantly playing his character. They're all called Colours. I think there's grey, green, blue, and I've forgotten what the other one is. Like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. um, And uh, terrific um, performance from Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. But it's, it's... for not not that it's a long ago, but it's real edgier seat stuff. It's um, it, it never lets up, and you're always tense, and you're always you know fearing someone's about to get killed, and there's a couple of twists and turns. Basically, the guys after hijacking the train and having the money delivered put the train on sort of autopilot, and it's headed for absolute carnage. Um, and then you've got all the cops and whatever above ground trying to make sure this doesn't happen. And it's just, it's a rollicking roller coaster of an action thriller, finally. And I'm not, that's not usually my genre, but I'll make an exception for this one. It's a terrific little movie and uh, very well worth looking up if you haven't seen it. My movie, if I told you 1974 and Mel Brooks, I think most people would think, oh, Blazing Saddles. Funny, but probably just, you know, a movie with which was gags stitched together for mine. And if I told you, for mine, the best acting performance by Gene Wilder, most people would probably refer to his iconic role as Willy Wonka in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Or I think I'd be more inclined to say the... um, Everything you want to know about sex? Yeah, the doctor who falls in love with the the sheep. sheep. I thought you might go for that one. And Stir Crazy has fans as well, the Frisco Kid. But for mine, this is Mel Brooks at his best. This, it's in black and white, this movie. It is a ripper. Young Frankenstein. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, or as uh, for much of the movie, he referred to himself as Frankenstein until he finally gained enough pride in the family name to say, my name is Frankenstein. Cloris Leachman almost steals the show as Frau Bluther. <laughs> Every time her name is mentioned, horses whinny in the background because she's such a horrible figure. But uh, she is the... Um, 
keeper of the of the old castle that uh, is visited by Frankenstein, Doctor Frankenstein. Uh, his trusty offsider is a uh, typical sort of a horror movie hunchback, but played hilariously by Marty Feldman. Oh yeah. Uh, the monster though steals the movie. Peter Boyle plays Frankenstein's monster. Uh, there's a great cameo appearance by Gene Hackman. The movie, Good cast. oh, it's a great cast, great cast. The movie is has a number of funny gags in it, but it it sticks together with quite a, a, a haveable story. The scene that is a scene stealer, and one of the great comedic scenes of all time, is when Gene Wilder presents the his monster, his creation, his Prometheus. Um, uh, to Prometheus, it's the fire god, isn't he? I don't know what I'm saying there. Anyway, presents it to the, and it's set in this sort of fictitious European town, and he's the scientific and nobility of this town gather in the town hall to see the monster, and Gene Wilder presents Peter Boyle, and to prove the dexterity, coordination, and general good humour of the monster, they they do a performance of putting on the Ritz together, oh, yeah. which is just, has to be seen to be believed. It's hilarious. It's And these character actors like Peter Boyle and, and Cloris Leachman and Marty Feldman excel in this movie. Gene Wilder is superb. Uh, it's a what great... was Peter Boyle in that we spoke about last week? Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the father. Yeah. And it's just, if you haven't seen it, it's a gem. In fact, one of the few movies that I forced my kids to watch, because I've made my kids watch all the movies I loved growing up. It's one of the few that they really, really enjoyed. You sound like me. I'm the the antichrist at our place, always trying to get people to look at things that I like. Correct. Same with me, but this is one... Does your better half hate that as much as mine does? Absolutely. They don't (laughs) want to watch it. They're not interested in it. No, no, but do you make her do it? No, she won't. Oh, no, well, I'm... But she now speaks up on behalf of the kids. Yeah, okay. But of of all the movies, Lucas is the one, my one child, who is willing to sit through them all, and this is clearly his favourite. Well, I've just got uh, my son David on to curb your enthusiasm, actually. We've watched about three episodes together now, so... What's your greatest disappointment of something that they have not just... Something that they sort of hated? Uh, Or not hated, but I I, I remember when both... uh, Well, Andrea as well. Andrea and Sam and David, uh, I made them watch Stand By Me. As yeah, a yeah. rites of passage yeah, movie, yeah. And, and and oh no, they thought it was okay, but it's now sort of the uh, go-to um, gag in terms. Of, oh yeah, stand. Well, I guess it's just like Stand by Me. Is it dead? You know. Like, yeah. I mean, I love Kurosawa and the Great Seven Samurai, and boy, is that not the standard response now? What, you're going to make them watch another stupid Japanese movie with subtitles for two and a half hours? Leave oh, them alone. Oh, the old subtitles line. Okay. All right. Um, oh, no, interesting interesting call. Uh, all right, let's talk TV. Uh, big year for TV. He's, here's some uh, big shows that emerged in 1974. Happy Days. How did we not choose that? Well, it, it wasn't that good. Um, no, like, it was huge, though, wasn't it? I used to watch it. No, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you it. this. It was, for me, in my memory, the first mega show 
that like that everybody was watching. Yeah, that you talked it, about at school. Yeah, it was like it not was, around the water cooler. No, but every, around the drink fountain. I'm saying, but everybody was, <laughs> everybody assumed you know the Fonzie position, or it, yeah. was, it was popular culture. No need to explain if you went, hey. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you, you know people talk about water cooler conversations? You reckon do do kids have water fountain? Yeah. Bubblers. Yeah. <laughs> Around the bubbler. Oh, I'm talking crap. Um, what else came out? Little House on the Prairie. Police oh, I Woman. Watched that. With Angie Dickinson. I used to watch that. I, I had a bit of a thing about Angie Dickinson. Petrocelli. Uh, Rush. He's, he's very quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Rush, the um, series upon which the late show's wonderful, The Olden Days, was uh, based. <laughs> yeah. uh, Class of 74, of which I remember nothing except Brian Cadd's theme song. <laughs> Class and of seven. We had to go. Class of seventy four. Wasn't there class of seventy five? Yeah, well? yeah. And then after that, there was another show called Glenview High. I think yeah. none of them did particularly well. Um, sounds also started too. Speaking of which, sounds always With unfortunately Donny for Donny Sutherland in the shadow of this mega. I've got to tell you this. I interviewed Donny Sutherland. He claimed <laughs> he claimed to have bedded. During the oh, making no. of sounds, over a thousand women. So I asked him that on the interview because I thought, You're going to claim it, I'm going to ask it. Oh, is this on SAN? Yeah, he and didn't w- back down from the claim. I said, Gee, that. Did that- he bed them whilst he was making sound, which was, uh, I'm pretty sure, went live to air on a Saturday no, morning? Over that, didn't it? over that extended period. Oh, it was okay. quite a long time. Yeah, I used to watch it on a Saturday morning. Yeah, good interviews and stuff. I liked the, the opening music. Oh, it was. Um, Sounds unlimited. Du, 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 du. Wasn't was that, it? Was that sort of orchestral? Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. Sounds unlimited. Is that what I was called? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, he, was any, a, he was a jockey, apprentice jockey. Donny Sullivan. Yeah. Anyway, I'm speaking about the mega music show, uh, an Australian icon, no doubt about it, popular culture icon, Countdown, which began in 1974, about halfway through, I think. Um, what do you say about Countdown? Well, I'll say this. I used, like a lot of people, I watched it every week religiously and most weeks sat there cursing it because it was full of Molly's favourite little acts which inevitably were pop-based. Uh, it wasn't nearly enough hard rock stuff on it for my liking and he had a certain sort of prejudice towards particular Australian artists, i.e. John Paul Young. Um, who else did he love? Uh, he loved his, you know, international stars. He loved Madonna, Madonna, Bowie, Elton John. He had a thing with Elton John. Probably did have a thing with Elton John. Um, but no doubting its uh, importance in the history of Australian music because it became the uh, if if Molly played a, a song or every radio program in the country would say we've got to start playing that song. So. If you appeared on Countdown, you were almost guaranteed what, what was success. His catch, he, had, he had this, ter- you know. Oh, do yourself a favour. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, yeah, actually, when it started, sort of Molly's role sort of evolved. He wasn't even on camera early on. He yeah. was just like the journo and researcher, and then they gave him that little humdrum segment where he humdrum. Yeah, told everyone about the albums coming out and stuff, and then he sort of became the frontman for it. Um, memorable moments. So, well, there were a lot. Of course, the my favourite's the hundredth episode where Molly got absolutely wasted and uh, was gone before the end of the show, and it finished with 
Daryl Braithwaite and John Paul Young saying, oh, look, uh, Molly's um, just so exhausted. We've had to send him home. And uh, this footage of Molly staggering about in the crowd uh, with the girls sort of not wanting to get too close to him. Uh, the memorable Prince Charles interview. My favourite. Yes. Uh, that the, the, the absolute embodiment of the nervous interviewer overawed. Yes, with Prince Charles sort of having a good laugh at his expense. Um also, you know how it, it's sort of it's had so many second and third lives countdown through various guises. One of which was playing it on Rage over the summer. They yeah. play old countdown episodes, but here's a tragic thing because it went from seventy four to eighty seven, so fourteen seasons of it over fourteen years. Everything except about thirty episodes between seventy five and seventy eight was Lost, erased, taped over because some management bozos. Horrible. And and same with footy. And a lot of their footy stuff went a, horrible, as well, unfortunately. That VFA ridiculous. football lost from Channel O. So much loss just to, you know, save space. How could they... <clears throat> I mean, I understand the concept of cost-cutting, but how could those people not have said even for five seconds, gee, I wonder if one day, you know, this stuff might be historically important. Or somebody just... Take it if, if it was thrown in the bin. Why didn't somebody just take it home? Well, they did. That's the story with Countdown. Uh, I think Michael Shrimpton and can't remember the other guy, but they were sort of uh, stashing uh, tapes away in cars and whatever. So they and and sort of putting them off, hoping they'd forget about it. Anyway, a lot of uh, priceless footage was lost. Uh, probably my favourite Countdown moment is Iggy Pop completely off his chops. Yeah, great. Doing uh, miming on board down the walkway with all these ten-year-old girls going, "What the hell is going on here?" Sticking the microphone down his pants. Anyways, no doubt an iconic Australian TV show, and it began in 1974. It's a great choice. I've just got to say that for a show that had acts come in miming and you know sometimes very half-hearted efforts, it still was brilliant to watch because I just. They they did it without a safety net, didn't they? There was a lot of performers just off their dial and yeah. all with little girls, teeny boppers screaming around them. But they had all the big acts, Bay City Rollers got oh, yeah. in there, and it was filmed in Gordon Street, Elstonwick. Yep. It was not uncommon for that part of Elstonwick to have to be cordoned off and huge queues of fans and especially young girls desperate to see their pop idols, David Cassidy and. But they gave people a go. I remember, you know, Jeff Duff was on there with oh, yes. his band Kush. Yeah. Performing. Banana? Uh, no. Banana. Uh, kick me like I'm a football. Oh, yeah. Um, it was interesting. I, you know, if I, I, I always think of John Paul Young. Yeah. And that, was she New Zealander? O'Neill? Sharon O'Neill. Yeah. Maxine? Yeah. She got a good run. I don't know. Everybody got a go. The Ferrets. Don't fall in love. <laughs> Anyhow, good program. My pick went only for three seasons, maybe four. And it is one of the, for me, one of the truly great British comedies. It's called Porridge. Ah. Starring yes. Ronnie Barker and the late Richard Beckinsale, who died very young. And Richard Beckinsale's a young first-timer in prison. And he's in the same cell as... Recidivist uh, Ronnie Barker. I think the show is absolutely stolen by an actor called Fulton Mackay, a Scotsman who plays Mr. Mackay, the warden, a 
hard-nosed Scotsman who talks out of the side of his mouth. Barker, uh, no, not Barker, whatever he's, uh, uh, the name of Ronnie Barker's character. Anyhow, he was fantastic. Uh, just absolutely sh- show-stealer. Um, there's a guard, I'm not sure the actor who plays his role, a, a sort of a weak-willed guard that they take advantage of. A lot of good um, cameo performances, but uh, it's just a great comedy. I think I think one of the best and most underrated of all English comedies. I wonder, yeah, it's an underrated because it came right in that sort of golden period of English comedy. You know, you had Monty Python and Foldy Towers. And yeah, well, Porridge is... is and it stands up to this day. There's actually a... Norman Fletcher, by Fle- the way. Fletcher! He's, oh, just the way he says Fletcher. And, you know, Fletcher always just seems to have one up on him. Just can always somehow get the result. Very clever. But Fulton Mackay was absolutely, absolutely superb. Oh, that, now this is... The Australian release, okay, as pointed out by my erstwhile offsider, it started in England in '73, but it reached our shores in 1974. Good save. Um, yeah, it went on Australian TV debuts, so uh, might have appeared in England in '73, but certainly '74 here. If you're going to watch any episodes, there's about three consecutive episodes guest starring David Jason, and for me, I have never ever seen in radio, in TV, never in my life have I seen, I've always wondered if this could happen. If you could have an episode or a movie where it's okay, it's good, it's good, it's good, but the last line of the movie or the TV episode makes the whole thing brilliant. And it's the only time I ever remember it happening. Three consecutive episodes starring David Jason in a cameo of course, I won't tell you what the last line is, but it just makes those three episodes wonderful. All right, Porridge. Uh, yes, yeah, a show I probably should have watched more of. All right, but we're going for a footy memory as well. Um, my one first thing that came into my head when you said 1974 finding, because I was there, I remember it vividly. I'm talking about the Windy Hill Brawl. I'll talk us through it if you were there. Well, it was amazing. I was uh, I was behind the Napier Street goal, so a little bit removed, but you could tell stuff was going on. This is all available on YouTube, of course. Um, started with a stoush between Mal Brown playing his debut season for Richmond and Essendon Ruckman Graham Jenkin. And uh, just on, literally on the halftime siren, and as both teams walked off and the dressing rooms were reasonably close to each other at the old Windy Hill, um, Laurie Ashley, Essendon runner, came out and had a real crack at Mal Brown, and it just absolutely exploded, and it was wild. There was... uh, the benches were cleared. A lot of Richmond officials sitting on the bench. Uh, Graham Richmond sprung off the Richmond bench. You had a very young Neil Busy, for, uh, later to become tribunal chairman, although in fairness to Neil, I think he was trying to play peacemaker. Um, you had the Essendon fitness advisor, Jim Bradley, come out there, and that's the most dramatic footage. You see him just lying completely stunned on his back on the ground. Actually had his jaw broken. 
Um, the police uh, rode out into the fray on horseback, which added to the confusion. A towel was waved. And uh, yes, and uh, speaking of which, uh, confusion and people in inappropriate places, a young six year old boy uh, called James Ferguson, I remember this because I interviewed him on the 20th anniversary. Uh, if you have a look at the footage, among all these sort of prostrate, prostrate bodies and fists flying, there's a little six-year-old kid wandering around. What had happened is um, he'd lost his family, been separated from him, and he was uh, standing with a police officer who, when the fight broke out, uh, felt compelled to run out in the ground and help sort things out. So little James went with him and <laughs> wandered. That's amazing. That's great, I never knew that. I didn't know this story. That is a great element yeah, no, yeah. Well, no, we we interviewed him um superb. on the sunday age because he's he was a mate of nick johnston who used to uh, form a journo and who worked for gws what and, a great aside yeah so um uh you have a look at the footage of the windy hill brawl you see a little six-year-old boy and then the policeman he sort of tugs at the policeman's coat and the policeman trying to sort of sort out two flailing fists turns around and sort of politely says no no you go over there and wait for, <laughs> wait for me there Anyway, it was a, it was a dramatic episode. The the wash up. Uh, Ronnie Andrews got six weeks for striking Brian Roberts. He must have come from close to you. Uh, no, no, he was on the wing. I, I was uh, behind the. No, guys. I'm saying, but did he travel far to be part of the brawl? Uh, no, no, he was. It wasn't was too it far away from where he was sitting. Yeah. yeah, it was in the vicinity. Uh, Jim Bradley had his jaw broken, but also received a six week penalty for striking Mel Brown. Uh, another interview I did for this story, Stephen Parsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Steve Parsons because he ended up at St Kilda. Never played a senior game. Yeah, well, uh, a great career with Brunswick in the yeah. VFA, but he was uh, only 17. Yep. And if you have a look... You He's ne- a big 17. Oh, right? he, had so, he had the mutton chops yep. and everything. He, he was a big, bad 17. Uh, he got four weeks for striking uh, Jim Bradley. This was only about his fourth game, I think. And I remember interviewing him about it, and he said, yeah, it didn't, didn't do my career much good at all. Um, he was also charged with assault, yep. uh, charge which was thrown out. And Laurie Ashley, the Essendon runner, he got six weeks. The wash-up was the VFL uh, reduced the numbers of people able to go on the ground. It reviewed alcohol laws. Well, I don't know why alcohol didn't really have anything to do with this one. Graham Richmond was suspended and fined. He then threatened to sue the VFL. Uh, which dropped the fine, and <laughs> and he was also, uh, I think he was charged with assault as well, and that was thrown out. Oh, it was dramatic, dramatic stuff. Uh, all happened on Election Day, 1974, May the 18th. All right, what's your memory? Okay, so this is interesting, because at times it will be a single game or a moment in a game, and for me it's actually a season. Yeah. Because uh, as a nine-year-old, I was heavily immersed in football by 1974. Sadly, it was to be the start of a great finals drought for my beloved Saints. They made the finals in 73, wouldn't appear again until 1991. But it ended a finals drought for another team. And it was the emergence of a side that really I had in my short time following football, even though it was an intense time, thought of as easy beats. And I think everybody did. North Melbourne were the only team... To have not won a premiership when I started, barrack, you know, becoming a supporter, and they hadn't made the finals since 1958. And by the start of the 70s, they were a bit of a basket case. Enter the 10-year rule, and the brilliant um, minds of 
the likes of Aylett, Ron Joseph, uh, famous meeting at the, what was the hotel, the, the up the northern end of the Melbourne? Uh, it looked like a castle. It was some sort of hotel, motel with a with a lounge bar where they got the signature of Ron Barassi famously on a napkin. On a napkin. Yeah. And nineteen seventy three was when they got these wonderful players from other clubs into the side. Barry Davis from Essendon, John Rantel from uh, Fitzroy and Doug Wade from Geelong. John Rantel from South Melbourne. South Melbourne, yeah. I should say. Um, pardon me, John Rantel from South Melbourne would later play for Fitzroy where he broke the games record. But the 1973, they emerged from um, mediocrity, but they didn't make the finals. Just missed the finals. They went 11-11. Yeah. In 1974, they added two key players. Barry Cable, who had been to the club previously in 1970, yep. returned in 1974. And, of course, the great, for me, close to the best footballer I've ever seen, Malcolm Blight, arrived at the club in 1974. There was a maturing Wayne Schimmelbush, played his, started in 73, but emerged in 74. And this team that had not played the finals makes it all the way to the grand final. Yes, they got beaten in the last black and white grand final of them all against a powerful Richmond team. It wasn't a great game. Which was actually shot in colour. Yeah. But obviously we didn't have colour TVs then. Um, but yeah, it was the. It wasn't a great grand final. Richmond nah. were just too good. Held them. In. Wasn't a shellacking though. They were, they were sort of within about sort length. of four or five Correct. goals. It held yeah. them at arm's length all day. But it wasn't about them. The grand final. It was about making the grand final and coming in from the wilderness. And of course, they wouldn't have to wait too long to break the drought. Well, that would be the first of uh, five grand final appearances in a row. 74 to 78 inclusive. And a grand Actually, final six replay. if you throw in a, a drawn grand final. No, really good call. Definitely a defining uh, feature uh, of also, 1974. And also a player like John Burns who was brought to the club. Very good player, Johnny Burns. And a funny bloke. Yes, we, uh, of course, did an episode of Stars in Cars yep. with him on our uh, Channel 31 Days of Footyology before your car got impounded, finally, which brought the, brought the segment to an end. Uh, I was not driving the car, by the way. And I'm now bringing this segment to an end. That was vinyl video and VFL from 1974. Okay, Finey, let's rant. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, Finey, well, I did say these are are strange, disturbing times. Uh, I've got a rant to this effect. Rant your pants off. One, two, three. I'm upping the ante today, Finey. As usual, I'm pissed off, and I know you think I'm going to say I'm already pissed off with 2020, which I am, because less than three months in, it's been an absolute stinker. But I'm not just pissed off with this year, I'm pissed off with this whole bloody century. Indeed, 20 years into it, I can safely say that this entire millennium has completely sucked. Remember back when 9-11 happened in 2001 and we all thought the world had changed forever? Well, it feels like we say that every few months now. The disasters just keep coming, so much so that even the period after the attack on the Twin Towers looks like a veritable oasis of stability compared to what the world's producing today. Obviously, like everyone else, I'm a little sensitive to the fact the past three months alone have served up the very fires of hell, and now a pandemic fit to rival the worst of the bubonic plague. But really, exactly what since 2000 hasn't completely sucked balls? 
A constant stream of war, famine and poverty across the world. I suppose that hasn't affected us too much at least, only because when the victims of those human tragedies come here looking for solace, we just chuck them in the clink. A procession of national leaders across the globe whose collective intelligence would make Paris Hilton seem like Stephen Hawking. We even managed to produce one who thought chomping into a raw onion was inspired. As for their collective empathy, well you can't have what you can't even pronounce, let alone comprehend. I mean, it's not as if any of them had the power to actually lead significant actions slowing down our destruction of the planet or anything. Well, not once they'd looked after their corporate backers, media magnate mates and Russian despots. So withdraw, I hear you say. Do a sea change. Find solace in the arts and entertainment. Yeah, well, I've tried. Music now? It's either trippy-sounding bohemia or stuff so devoid of life, soul, not to mention guitars, that it sounds like it's not only been written on a computer but performed by one. Movies? Well, great if you like sci-fi and action, but if you're not into Iron Man 17B or whatever they're up to on Planet Zagor, it's all just a little tedious. Radio? Yeah, great. It's either production line overly confident young brats without a shred of wit or personality, or Kyle Sandilands getting paid $7 million a year for being a professional asshole. And TV? Four words, finey. Married at first sight. Or, if you're a fan, just one acronym, MAFS. Yeah, well, I've got an acronym for you, dickheads, F-R-O. And now it looks like I'm not even going to be able to take solace in sport. What if there's no footy this year because of the coronavirus? Well, at least Tiger fans have got replays of the last few seasons. The Hawks have their three-peat, and Geelong's glory days don't seem that far in the past. My club's last great era is such ancient history, it's barely in colour, and so long ago that you actually didn't want to jump through the TV and throttle the commentators. No, I can't remember what that feels like either. I want a time machine post-haste, finey. Set the dial to 1993, drop me off, and don't come back. Let me rejoice in the baby bombers, the grunge movement, an entertainment industry that didn't insult your intelligence, shopping centres where every second person didn't look like they were kitted out to perform surgery or remove nuclear waste, and mostly where I could duck into coals for some bread and milk without the threat of being knifed for some toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Is that really too much to ask? It ain't going to get better before... Uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better for you, Rowan. I hope things clear up in your lifetime. I fear. I fear the worst. All right. Uh, ready to go. Three, two, one. Rant. More for me. Yesterday, I immersed myself in panic buying. I'm never doing that again. I'd rather starve to death. But I went home and did a worldwide search of exactly what wasn't on the shelves in different countries. And doesn't it say a lot about the peoples of those countries? We know here toilet paper has been at a premium, which is idiotic because without food, you don't need toilet paper. So why is there a rush on toilet paper and there's not a rush on food, or at least in that order? The United States takes the cake, as they often do. No word of a lie, there's been a rush on ammunition and firearms. What on earth? Guns and bullets? I can just picture the the bloke in the Ozarks in the middle of Tennessee swigging from his jug of moonshine while he's fornicating a pig on his front porch, holding a gun up saying, COVID virus ain't welcome here, and shooting in the air. We don't like you kind of viruses. Why do they need more guns and bullets? I guess any excuse is a good excuse. Over to England, and no word of a lie, off the shelves, have a guess what? Tea. Because when there's a crisis in England, you need a good stiff 
mug of tea or cup of tea. No run on toilet paper or soap there. Make of that of you what make of that what you will. My favourite is Scotland, where there has been a genuine run on Scotch whisky and beer. Then again, they run short of that every weekend. So I don't know if that's the COVID virus or just the calendar reaching Saturday. But it says a lot about the country that you're in, what you're short of. And I guess the gold medal goes to Holland, where weed, that is marijuana supplies, are dangerously low, as our friends in the in Holland, our Dutch friends, fight the virus the only way they can, off their face. <laughs> Ah, yes. We've all got uh, stories about uh, being stoned in Amsterdam, haven't we, Fanny? Can I tell you? Oh, don't. I knew I was tempting fate. Yeah, go on. No, it is interesting because I don't like marijuana at all and I never really have. Mm -hmm. But I did have an experience with hash in uh, Amsterdam. Yep. The result of which was me going to an Indian restaurant, sitting on bench seating in this Indian restaurant, and do you know why I had to leave the restaurant? I kept rolling off the bench thinking that it was on an angle. And after doing that three times, stood up and at the top of my voice said, I think I've just crapped my pants. Hadn't. Hadn't eaten anything. But was asked to leave. Uh, yes, well, I, um, I, I partook at a cafe. Uh, this is only five years ago or so. And I remember uh, it was pretty strong gear. And uh, I did have, well, more, the others didn't want any more, so I polished it off. Oh. And we were, we were walking back to our, um, where we were staying, this apartment we were staying, and I felt like I was in a scene from one of those English comedies or something. You know when you're sort of seeing the view from someone who's drug affected and yeah. the camera's... Yeah. yeah, well, that's, I'm walking along the street sort of feeling like I'm walking across the Sahara Desert, and I was obviously really freaked out and whatever and I just remember this big English bloke walking straight towards me and he comes right up to me and he goes you're all right, mate. It's <laughs> <laughs> a dead set like something out of a movie. When, when you went like when I was there it was 1989 1990 and there were two famous cafes where you you know indulged yourself they yeah. were the Bulldog and yeah. the Milky Way. Yeah. Are they still iconic? Uh, I can't remember mate I was off my chops. Actually the Milky Way does ring a bell. Um I ended up on a tram, and every I kept ringing the bell. You know, pulling the there was a bell there, a chain every stop, and in the end, the driver stopped the tram and said, "Please stop doing it." I said, "I don't know where my stop is, so I need to press it every time." <laughs> oh, okay then. All right, uh, that takes us out for footyology. Uh, well, not for this week because. In a perfect world, and like I said, we are living in far from a perfect world, we will have round one of the AFL season, in which case we will be back uh, recording Sunday evening available on Monday to wrap up round one of the AFL season. But And for the Elegy final siren. Uh, correct. Of course. How could I forget that? Uh, tune in on Twitter. On my Twitter feed, at Rowan underscore Connolly, hashtag footyology. Send your questions in following the games on Thursday and Friday evening, and we will address them. Uh, quick word for our sponsors again, Finey. I could murder at Andrew's Hamburger right now. No need to queue up in uh, the supermarket for bread and meat and all the trimmings to make a burger when you can just go to Andrew's and get the best one in Melbourne made for you. at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And a big thank you to Nick Spartel's West Point Properties. If you want a house built well, go to a normal builder. If you want it built brilliantly, 
go to Nick's Bartels of West Point. And a big thanks also to Grays Online, who offer a huge range of consumer and industrial goods direct from manufacturers, and they have a fantastic offer for Footyology listeners till the end of March. Use the following two voucher codes, ROCO, R-O-C-O, or FINEY, F-I-N-E-Y, to claim $30 off any purchase of more than $50. That could be anything from $2 bottles of wine to a $2 million crane, TVs, homewares, white goods, power tools, most auctions starting at just $9. Jump online, check out the bargains, use the voucher codes Roco Alfini and claim $30 off any purchase of more than $50. That's it for this week. We hope we'll see you post round one. Uh, who knows what's going to happen, but we'll see you soon. <laughs>